Welcome to Thought Studio, an intellectual space to confront inconspicuous and sometimes insidious aspects of our society. In this podcast, the scope for explorations is limitless, from domestic to public spheres, from cells to galaxies, crossing the border between physical and metaphysical realms. So join us as we ask big questions and offer unique perspectives in the hopes of offering clarity and insight. In this episode, Luna will examine the nature of comparison. When was the last time you compared something? Probably a few seconds ago since you chose to listen to this episode of The Thought Studio. We humans were born with social comparison, which means that our brains automatically go through our memory of every situation we've had and finds one or a few to help us figure out what to do next. We compare our past choices and the results to find the similarities with the task at hand and help us make the most correct choice if there is one. This automatic comparison is helpful and used during tasks ranging anywhere from what food to eat to which house to buy. So why do we compare? In 1954, psychologist Leon Festinger proposed a theory called the social comparison theory which suggests that people have an innate drive to evaluate themselves, often compared to others, and we rely on these comparisons to accurately assess our abilities, traits, and attitudes. We make two types of comparisons, upward social comparison and downward social comparison. So what's the difference? Upward comparison is when we compare ourselves with those who we believe are better than us. And when comparing, we focus on the desire to improve our current status or level and look for ways that we can achieve similar results as our competitor. In contrast, the downward social comparison is when we compare ourselves to others who are worse off than us. This type of comparison makes us feel better about our abilities or traits. Although we might not be great at the task, but at least we're better off than someone else. For example, let's say that we're comparing our basketball abilities with our friends by playing games and competing to see who has a higher free throw accuracy. If we're comparing upwards and we find that we're not as skilled, then we might feel discouraged at first by the gap of our abilities, but we realize that we can eventually achieve a similar skill level with practice. Consequently, the comparison was beneficial as it made us more motivated to improve our abilities and make us willingly want to practice more. However, if we're downward comparing with a friend that can't even shoot a basket to save her life, she'll inevitably make you feel good about yourself. This demonstrates that some comparisons might make you feel inadequate and less likely to pursue a goal, while others give you confidence and boost your self-esteem. So, is comparison a good thing or not? According to Theodore Roosevelt, comparison is the thief of joy, and I agree with him. It can make bad situations even worse. For instance, when one of my friends received his AP score and saw that it wasn't what he expected, instead of accepting it and calling it a day, he asked around to see what his friends received. The majority of them received a better score than him, which made him even more upset about his marks. He did this because he was uncertain about if the score was a mistake or not. Thus, he decided to ask around. If everybody received a score that they were unexpecting, then something was probably off about this year's exam. 
Additionally, he wanted to define himself, and human beings can't actually describe themselves intrinsically or independently. For example, to perceive beauty, there has to be a reference point of ugliness. In order to perceive good, there has to be the standard of bad. In fact, most of our objectives, which we use daily, are relative to each other as well. Being built in our language, we can only express ourselves in relation to someone else. Thus, he has to compare himself with others in order to accomplish his goal of seeing if the score was a mistake or not. When it comes to the big questions of identity and self, like who am I, we need to look at other people, perhaps to find the traits that we don't like and take the opposites, or perhaps to find a standard that we live up to. And according to Festinger, quote, the tendency to compare ourselves to another person decreases as the difference between our opinion or ability and the other person's increases, unquote. This means that the more similar we are to a person in an aspect that is important to us, the more we tend to compare ourselves to that person. My friend really cares about his grades and academic achievements. Thus, it hurt him a lot to realize that he didn't achieve his regular success in the AP exam. He compares himself to others who are high achievers in the academic area because there's normally a bare minimum of difference between him and his friends when it comes to academics. He didn't compare himself with somebody who doesn't really care about their academics because the comparison wouldn't be compelling or make him feel right after. Festinger also states that when we quit contrasting ourselves with others, we regularly experience hostility and derogation toward those individuals, because comparing ourselves with them makes us feel an unwanted emotion, like feeling upset. This means that if we stop comparing ourselves to that super fit runner in our grade, to avoid feeling terrible, then we'll eventually deal with the residue of these feelings by mentally tearing the fit runner down. In simpler terms, if we can't deal with the negative emotions of the comparison and repress them, then we'll swap these negative emotions for those that are more helpful to ourselves, to leave the burden of repression like anger or a tendency to write the other person off. And if you've ever felt a twinge of envy about someone close to you, and then found yourself suddenly turning against them in your mind, then this process will sound familiar. It's a strange script that all of us have running in our mind's background, that allows us to feel secure in our positions and self-concepts. Finally, Festinger pointed out that the more important we think some particular group of people are, the more pressure we'll feel to match our abilities to the people in that group. For example, a common Vancouver fitness activity to do is soul cycling. And thus, when first-timers go, they feel more pressure to do well, and not let the others in their soul cycle class look down on them. But if we were bicycling on the street, we wouldn't care if random strangers cycle quicker than us. The difference is that we think our soul cycle class is a more critical comparison group, whereas the ability of some random cyclist on the street matters very little to us. Which, if you think about it, also helps explain why we pay so much for those soul cycle classes. We pay because we believe that the group found in the class is important. But we also think that the group is important because we pay, and because everybody else is paying too. Isn't that weird? Now, all of this might sound pretty obvious. We know we have a need to compare ourselves. We know we tend to compare ourselves to people who are similar to us in skill, academics, and status. We know that we compare abilities and our opinions to groups we deem important. And we know that 
comparison often dredges up some unpleasant feelings. So what? Isn't that just the way we're designed? So what does all of this mean? What we're actually doing throughout our lives is comparing our ideas about ourselves to other people by observing others and to validate our pre-existing ideas about them. Thus, we've never really compared ourselves to another person in our entire life. We've only compared our belief about ourselves to another person. Additionally, social media has added a whole new level of abstraction to this comparison process because now when we compare ourselves to other people, we're actually just comparing ourselves to versions of other people, the versions they choose to show the world. We're essentially comparing our blooper reel to someone else's highlight reel and judging ourselves against that prettified version of themselves. This isn't news, but it's worth remembering. People's digited selves are not their real selves. No matter how much time they spend on Instagram, or use the word authentic, or hashtag their photos no filter, the fact that they've chosen to showcase it to the world means that it's a highlight.